everybody. This is MG. And I'm Elizabeth Pudwell, and we are Sober Sisters Talk. Welcome. Welcome. So Sober Sisters Talk is a podcast that MG and I do every week. We try to do it every week. And we try to bring to you our experiences working several programs and just share with you what we have come across in our lives. And I like to say, I don't know how to keep anybody else sober, but I know what works for me. And that's what we want to encourage people to do in this podcast is to figure out what works for them. And that's where MG and I are a little bit different because I like to tell people what to do and think that I can keep them sober. (laughs) (laughs) But we just invite you to listen. It's fun and it's also really educational. We cry, we laugh, we do a little bit of everything. We have guests, we work the steps. It's great. So stay tuned to the next podcast coming right up. Hi, everybody. I'd like to invite you to an SLAA women's only Zoom meeting that's going to be happening at 6 p.m. on Friday evenings. And we have submitted another meeting ID in the past, but for this Friday only, the meeting ID is going to change. So please make a note of the change. It's 845-6388. 2431 and the meeting password is 0610 which is the anniversary for the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous. The week after that it will go back to our regular meeting and that ID is 413-305-548-011478 is the password. So, so see you this coming Friday. Hi everybody this is MG. Welcome, I'm Elizabeth Pudwell, and together we are Sober Sisters Talk. Welcome. Sober Sisters, and we're talking. So um, today we have one of MG's long friends. She said she's, um, first she said she's famous. No, big deal. Then she said Elizabeth's a big deal. <laughs> so we've been chatting for like 10 minutes. We've got a topic. We're ready to go. So why don't you go ahead and introduce our, our guests. Um, MG. So everybody, I'm really happy today to introduce Lynette. She is someone that I have known probably as long as I've been sober, which last month was uh, actually two months ago, March 3rd, was uh, 30 years. And she's actually my Al-Anon grand sponsor. And this is Lynette, everybody. Hello, Lynette. Hello. It's wonderful to be here. Man, we're so glad that you are here. And I do, you know, something that we, um, sometimes that we do and is probably inappropriate for podcasts, but we like it is if you would like to interrupt or talk over us, please do. (laughs) (laughs) Because you said, you said when we, before we started, she listened to a few of our podcasts and she said, it's like a couple of friends talking and solving the problems of the world. That's what we do. Yeah, that happens. That's what we do. So let's, let's, you know, before we go into your story a little bit, go back over that, that, that sentence, that paragraph that you said about the relationship with the program, because MG and I, we both, you know, work multiple programs and it sounds like you probably do as well. And you, you know, it, it is, uh, my recovery is all about relationships and what you said totally resonated with me. Well, what I was talking about is, um, you know, when I got sober, um, and I've been sober 31 years, just be uh, just a year more than MG, and um, and I just celebrated uh, in April, and um, 
so I got sober and I was going to a club in, in Houston and uh, and so this is what my life was this is what recovery is and I thought it was going to be this way forever well it wasn't that way forever then then I changed and you know my career changed and my focus changed and and then I moved and then I started going to a different club and so I had to ask myself is my recovery based solely on who I'm in a meeting with and if I struggle with the relationships I have in the program because I change, how do I compensate for that? How do I stay focused and rich in my recovery and moving forward and not get caught up in personalities and not get caught up in, in uh, that uh, I'm adamant that things can't change and I don't like this uh, because things do change. And this pandemic has brought it home because here we are all remote. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know when I'm going to be comfortable again sitting in a meeting, uh, uh, you know, because uh, I'm, I'm of an age where I'm at risk. Uh, and, and so it's a big deal. But, uh, you know, my life has changed so many times in recovery. And I've had to, I've had to fall in love with recovery over and over again. I've had to, I've had to establish new relationships and new patterns and, um, and to keep it fresh, to keep it so that it matters, so that I'm still here. Do you think that that part of the issue, Lynette, is that we as alcoholics we don't like change? Is that is that you know is that what compounds this whole issue? Because I certainly don't. And you know, to be adaptable, I think that that's really a, a keystone of like long term sobriety. It's like going with the flow. So is that a piece of it? You think? I think I think the truth is that I only like the change that I initiate. <laughs> what I was going to say. Yeah, because, you know, the truth is, if I initiate it, I think it's a it's a, faint, a great change. Right. But if it wasn't my idea, then I got a problem with it. And, too, like, so for me, um, you know, what came up the first, when you first said this before we were recording, was the rituals and the yeah. routines. And those keep me feeling safe and secure. And I know what to do. And I know what the rules are. And then this thing comes along or anything. So my, you know, when I first got sober in AA, I was cruising along and then needed to do an SLAA program. Like, you know, and my whole relationship with program changed. And I went from a staunch, you know, I had a chair. I had a chair in the downtown cathedral meeting for years. You know, that was my meeting everybody knew that I was, I was the girl that wore the boots and sat in that chair. And, um, you know, then when I started working in SLAA program and it got really intense, I, you know, my, my meetings shifted and my, my relationship with AA shifted. And then my relationship with program shifted period. And so, you know, we do have to learn how to navigate that and how to pivot in any situation you know i did anyway i had to learn how to do that and sort of lament you know i love aa and i love the meetings that i went to but it just was not serving me that i needed those slaa meetings well you know um there's a couple of books that of course i i think i'm staring right at them one that really were formative for me uh, one of them uh is long known in faith circles called stages of faith and there's another book called Beyond the 12 Steps that talks about uh, and incorporates faith. And what happens in stages of faith in everybody's life, and if you think about the brand new 
newcomer in recovery is we get clean, we get sober, we get in recovery coming out of a life of chaos. I mean, you know, there was, it was crazy. And so when you do that and you have these rigid rules about this is what recovery is and this is the rules and this is how you do it, we love that because it's like, dang. And so, but life changes and we get older and, and we get more mature in our faith. And so we start resisting and we start pushing back and we start changing. And I've maintained that the people that are most successful uh, in long-term recovery are those that can embrace the change and are okay, and don't resist too much. Because this the, both these books talk about what happens as your faith grows, if you will, or your uh, uh, spiritual life grows, that you have different needs and you're, you're more open to different ideas. And I think the longer I stay sober, the more I'm open to new ideas, where in the beginning I was not. I, I loved that there was just this path. Well, I, black and white. Don't drink. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Don't yeah. pick up. That's the rule. Yeah. And there's a guy that used to go to Lambda. I think he's deceased now. David S. David Stone. Do you remember him? Oh, yes. He, he used to say that he liked to wear his sobriety like a loose caftan. And that was a whole subject. Of the AA well, meeting. and I have uh, I have seen David Stone in a thong and a caftan throwing the the caftan up and with the thong. So that's a visual that I cherish. <laughs> and uh, and and it was so funny because this was like I think about a six thirty a.m. eyes wide shut meeting there, and like the whole meeting was talking about how you wear your sobriety, and it was hilarious. It was like you know. Uh, a wonderful meeting and so but I loved that visual that you know the idea is that to be at ease with it you know that it can't be this really and and you know but David had he was speaking from 20 plus years of sobriety yeah. and so I think that at first we do need that really sort of rigid black and white yeah. you know yeah. you go to a meeting a day you call your spas you know all these prescriptive things that we need in order to to get our minds right and but it, and it might take years mg to get your get you off of that you know it's whatever it takes for each individual person and it's and you know when it comes up you know and i i resisted i didn't want to do it i didn't want to go to slaa i used to go to slaa and they'd be laughing and be like oh my god what the hell do these bitches think is so fucking funny you know, I didn't think anything was funny, you know, and I would just be like, oh, you know, and just I resisted and pushed, you know, I thought they don't even know what a program is. They don't do these things right. You know, all, that's a whole nother topic there. All my judgy. You're being, you're being judgy. Well, and you know what did it for me? Uh, the huge change in my life that that altered things so much is. You know, I was 59 years old, and I made the decision to go um, to graduate school to get my master's in divinity to answer a call to ministry. And it completely changed the course of the rest of my life. And one of the biggest things it disrupted is it altered my relationship in, uh, with recovery. Again. Because uh, good, bad, or indifferent, people have uh, perceptions of how ministers are supposed to talk and behave and engage. And there I was in meetings, sometimes with people who were members of my congregation. And then with others who just, you know, knew that I was a minister and it changed how I showed up. It changed how I felt comfortable in sharing. 
Uh, and I had to start going to different meetings. I yeah. had to create a whole different world uh, because of it. And and I also had to reestablish relationships because I was distant from all the people who knew me in recovery for a long, long time, one in school and then all the years that I was in active ministry because that was that was my focus. Uh, and, and so I had to, uh, like I said, fall in love again with Alcoholics Anonymous when I retired. And, uh, and so now what it looks like is I love all the boys. I love all the CMA boys, you know, they're my mm-hmm. darlings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, and then the other thing is, I don't know how it is for you two, but I think recovery for women as we get older is different than it is for men. I mean, that's just my bias. Uh, you know, I don't, I struggle to find people to socialize with in recovery. Mm-hmm. I struggle to find people who uh, show up in the world that's similar to me or have the same political leanings or the same interests, um, you know, and um, I think long-term sobriety can also, as you age, get lonely mm-hmm. if you're not well, careful. Well, and I think it's especially if you look at it where we are right now and, you know, meeting on Zoom, so Friday nights, I have a stand, you know, I had my own damn ritual. I would go to MG's, we would record Sober Sisters, and then I go to my Friday night meeting, and then we go to dinner. Yep. And I'm not, and that was like the the highlight of my social hour, my, my activity, and then we're not doing it. And, you know, it, it I find those voids, you know, painful. And have to like sort of go back. Okay, well, I thought recovery was my the the touchstone of my social life, and now it's like uh you know it's an hour on Zoom. Yeah, and I think we're really fortunate in Houston because there is so much recovery, uh, and there is so much holistic recovery. You can man, you can just jump into every end of the pool you want, Uh, and. You know, there's people who stayed sober for decades and their relationship with the program as far as uh, people is they go to, you know, maybe two meetings a week and the rest of the time they're in their life. And that was not my experience. Mine was more like yours, Elizabeth. You know, I, we've got that ritual with my posse, I call it, on Friday night and Saturday. I mean, there's it's what we do. Well, and, we, don't, and, we don't do that now. And I think, you know, I touched on this before in some of my, our previous podcasts that I feel that for me and my long-term sobriety, I feel particularly gypped around all this because I have built my life to be a certain way that, you know, that I have manifested a life of, um, you know, recovery and relationships and I, I, I've lost that through no fault of my own. And so in the regular world, and I'll use that, my air quotes, I feel like I can be happier. And so this has been my focus, like for the last week. This week was good. Last week uh, was not good, not that good. The week before was worse. And so I see that I'm like, in terms of like my um, resilience and ad- adaption, that I'm doing much better. And what I'm doing is like, I have all my windows open, even though I have bad allergies, because the weather is so gorgeous. And every time that I can, that I just like, like how wonderful it is to be experiencing just this, just now, just really getting back to this moment by moment. 
which for me was really about early recovery in AA, as well as early recovery in Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, you know, really kind of that, you know, not, not just day by day, but like hour by hour, minute by minute. So that's been like, a, a you know, it was bad, but then it's like, now I'm kind of flipping it. So it's, it's, you know, manageable. And, you know, now today is the day that we've sort of going to loosen some restrictions. I'm not going out because I'm just getting over a long bout of mono where I was sick for five months. So I have a compromised immune system. So I'm not going out. But what are your guys' plans? Are you guys going to, like, are, are, are there any meetings going on at Lambda, Lynette? What do you know? No, it's still closed. And, um, um, and you know, I'm 71. I'm, I have type 2 diabetes. And so I'm very much at risk. And so I, I even use Instacart uh, in delivery to get my groceries. You know, I've not been willing to step out there, although I did yesterday. You know, and I got my masks. Uh, and, and so I think what I'll end up doing is, you know, with my posse, we may meet in the park again six feet apart with our masks. And we did that once. And uh, But, I, you know, I'm really not going to do anything very different. Good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. And I think that the the hardest part for me was, and this is like my Alanonism and codependency, is that, you know, because I am going to Trader Joe's, but, you know, I'm suiting up, I'm putting a hat on, I'm putting my glasses on, I got my masks, and, and uh, you know, it's it's seeing other people suffering or being tense or upset, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, look at all these fucking people. They're like, oh, my God. And so... My, my focus has been on them instead of, you know, they've got a higher power, you know, they've got to make their decisions. Elizabeth, what, what are your plans? Are you going to like loosen up a little bit? No, I don't. I mean, no, I, I don't have any plans to go sit in a restaurant somewhere. Um, I, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm very pensive right now because I'm thinking about um, you know my family. I have a um, a son and daughter-in-law and grandkids, and I haven't been able to see them. And um, you know, if I start loosening up what I do, I can't see them anyway because I go to work every day, even though there's nobody there. I don't see anybody. But um, she she works she works at the Houston Chronicle. Yeah. Okay. And they're worried, you know, about about my granddaughters, you know, and so they don't let me see them. And I get it. I understand that. But I feel like if I just, I don't know. I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it because I was thinking like, and this was one of the things before we even started is, um, I really try to look at the balance of my relationships. I, when I'm having friendships, like I have a very um, reciprocal relationship with MG. We, you know, I can call her and talk to her about my problems and she can call me and talk to me about her problems. Even though I'm her sponsor, I still, we, you know, I feel like it's a reciprocal relationship. I have a lot of relationships that are not. And I think that, you know, I'm learning that my, the relationships that are not reciprocal it's because I put more into it and I don't want to do that with anything. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be off balance. I want to be really clear about what my relationship is, what my relationship is with this program, with this podcast, with 
the meeting afterwards, you know, I'm going to give what I'm able to give and get what I'm able to get and be really clear about that. And so, so that sounds I, to, it, Elizabeth, it sounds to me like you're really trying to focus on intentionality, like really being exactly. intentional. Yeah. Yeah. And just to be really clear, because I feel like I got, you know, I, I, I went to see my grandkids last Sunday and my son said, well, you know, you, you could come over because I, I bought them some stuff and he, it's, I wanted to bring it and just do a drive-by. And he said, no, you can come in and go sit in the backyard and we'll, you know, stay apart. And he said, you know, we did this with our neighbors last night. And I just felt like, oh, like you've been seeing your neighbors and not me. Like oh. you've been telling them it's okay and not me. I just felt kicked. Yeah, and yeah. that's where I was like, okay, this is a non-reciprocal relationship. That's my part. I feel like I'm really important to them, and they're gonna, you know, and I'm not, which is fine. You know, their neighbors are they have a different relationship with them than they do with me, and it doesn't mean that I don't matter to them. But it's not that's not one of my social people, and I have been leaning on it like it is, you know, and I have to like look. I have to revamp it always. Mm. And that's the same thing as this with program. I always have to be like, okay, am I getting my needs met? And if I'm not, what's my part? What am I doing? You know, am I expecting too much? Am I providing service? Am I volunteering? Am I showing up? Am I regular? Am I, you know, all of those things. Am I committed? And I find that when I am with program, program gives me those things back. Well, you know, uh, you used the word uh, of intentionality. What I kept thinking was one of the huge lessons I've gotten in this pandemic is is I'm not near as present in my life as I thought I was. Um, you know, I, I used to have this mantra that um, you show up, pay attention, tell the truth, and let go of the outcome. Uh, because, you know, for me, how I dealt with a lot of my life is if I didn't like my reality, I just created a different one. Change it. Mm -hmm. You know, but I wasn't living in it. I just would create it in my head. And so I would live in this alternate reality. And which, you know, I always say if you've not, don't knock disassociation and tell you if you've never tried it. Um, <laughs> because that was a coping skill for me growing up. Um, very effective yeah you know uh, is I just I would create an alternate reality it's why I like books it's why I like movies and you know all of that but anyway so I'm, I'm in my little house that I've lived in 19 years uh, I've been retired for three so it's not like a surprise um, and I realized that I wasn't really present even in my own home and so I have in the last month I have been through every cupboard every drawer I mean I literally have rearranged well no I don't move furniture but I have changed everything in every single room I've cleaned the garage I've cleaned my porch I feel like I've finally shown up in my own house wow uh, and and I, so part of that is I have to work just as hard to stay showing up in my own life right like Elizabeth was saying you know you had to pay attention and realize that that your relationship with your family is not the same thing as your relationship with MG, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. who knew? Yeah. Well, and I also think that 
you know, there was a, a little bit of a heartbreak, Elizabeth, when you made oh, that absolutely. discovery. Oh, absolutely. Bam. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, but it's like, it, it's, it, it's, you know, that what I realized, and I'll tell you this honestly, because it is part of my program, is that I was substituting having my own partner in person with all of my social circles, with that family, with my daughter, with slaw with mg and this silver sisters with my yoga all of those things because i don't have a partner and the truth is is that i want that intimacy i want my own person and that's what came up around it is that you know if i had my own person i wouldn't have been so like you know gut punched when I found out that my son and his daughter-in-law and my daughter-in-law have been having company over and not me, you know. Yeah. But how wonderful that you were able to get in touch with what you were, re- what was really going on with you and not make it about them, right. you know, which is one of my specialties, you know. Somebody's going to take the blame and it's not going to be me, you know. <laughs> you because know, I used to say in early recovery that one of my goals was that um, I wanted uh, – my responses to things to be proportional to the event and it took years for that to happen and you know man i think that's huge that you got in touch with that well that's freaking inner child work and that stuff's you know that that'll kick your ass every time you know when you're like because if you're having a response it's a nine or a ten to a one or a two situation that's the inner child going you know hey well and i I always i always tell people that uh if they tell me about a problem i said well just it's about your family of origin i promise (laughs) (laughs) no matter what they say well it's about your i know it's about your family of origin yep it is but it's not one thing it's your mother (laughs) that's right Mm But it was more like an aha instead of like, it you was. know, a, a dagger yeah, to the heart. It wasn't devastating, but... Not at all. I is, just, you know, it was, it was a sting, but yeah, it, yeah. Doesn't, it, it didn't, it wasn't devastating. It was a sting for me just hearing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, road. Yeah. They're stepping out on you, Elizabeth. Yeah. 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 Well, and what I was going to say is that that's one of the things that I feel like recovery has helped me to be able to manage more are the little heartbreaks in life because yeah. there are those things that happen all the time in very small ways. I mean, you know, what's that saying, you know, without like a, you know, a thousand bites. I don't know. There's this whole idea I can't really uh, coherently discuss right now, but just about, you know, that. I can get into, um, you know, really like uh, negative self-talk just because someone says something or does something. And, you know, recovery has really taught me to have that rigor around, you know, really examining that thought. Like, is that is that real or is that a tape or is that like some old programming? And so, you know, staying connected with Elizabeth and like doing this podcast for us, it's 12, 12 step. 12th strip work, you know, trying to carry the message out there and being able to be of service. And after this meeting at six o'clock, we hold a SLAA Zoom meeting, which is national. We have people from Massachusetts and California and uh, all over the world join us. And we usually have around 15 to 20 people on it. And so it's uh, one of our staples now that we've, we've come to love. 
So in terms of like Lynette, in terms of like your long-term sobriety, I mean, do you ever think about drinking? I mean, like, you know, because I don't. I don't ever think, except rarely every now and then there'll be a commercial or something and I'm like, damn, that looks good. But it's not like I've got a drink, you know, like I was cleaning out, talking about cleaning out, I cleaned out my little pantry. I have a little tiny pantry. And I'd had book club here like last year and I always like have wine for them because they're Lutheran and they always drink. And so I, I get these little bottles of wine. I go and I get like really good little bottles, but I get little bottles of wine, some red, some white. And I found the bottle. I'm like, looky there. And I'm like, it's a pandemic. I can have a drink, you know, like that little alcoholic mind came in and I was, and I just laughed and I said, Oh, you're such a drunk, you know, and I put it back like the, in the thing. Those stories when people say they're on an airplane, you know, it doesn't count, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I have those moments. Um, but I'm really clear that even though I, am, uh, you know, the, um, desire to drink was removed almost immediately. Yeah. Me too. Old, yeah. And it really never has come back, but I'm also very clear that um, I have the ability to make really stupid decisions. Um, and, um, and so I, when I have those moments when I go, well, that looks like a good idea, um, I try really hard to say, no, it's not. Yeah. No. Um, and usually, and I, even those silly moments, I try and tell on myself to somebody. Right. Because, uh, yeah, because that's the benefit of meetings, though. It's like it always, you know, it, I just think like, as soon as I was with my daughter, you know, last Sunday when I had that, that sting, and, you know, she was kind of making excuses for them and, you know, telling me, well, they probably this or that, because she knew I was hurt, you know, and I just had that thought, like, you know, but my part is this, and I can see it, and I can see it clearly, and it's not their responsibility to be my um, major source of warm personal regard. You know, I have to make that and create that for myself. And, you know, if I'm not getting it from this area, then there needs to be. And the thing is, is that I'm, you know, it took a long time, but I'm ready. And I'm ready for that intimate, close relationship with one person. I like what you said you want your, your, your own person. Yeah, I want my ear person. I like that. I don't need it because I'm okay. You yeah, know? exactly. I just want it. I'm well, not- you know, when people, do, you know, I'll be honest with you. You know, uh, I've been single for a long, long time. And people say, well, you must like it this way. I said I must. But let me. the truth is, when people say to me, oh, you know, I don't want to be in a relationship. I like being single. I want to go, you're lying. Yeah. You know, I'm, I do single really well. Uh, thank goodness, but that doesn't mean that I wouldn't like to right. grow old with somebody. I always, I have three goals. You want to hear my goals for uh, getting older? I guess, even though this is recorded, my goals are, one, to um, stay vertical. <laughs> the key to getting old, stay vertical. Uh, two is to die with my own teeth. That's uh, another goal. And the third one is to have old people sex. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, why not, huh? I'm thinking it's kind of like the same. <laughs> <laughs> Except I, I will insist on all the lights being out, off. It's, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it, it's like sometimes I think like, well, you know, why is that, you know, guy looking at me like I'm an old lady, you know, but it's like, I think all of my body parts are kind of the same, you know, they yeah. might be 
you know, it's it's still me. Ever, you know, and, you know, it's all about lighting. It is. <laughs> it's been all about lighting for about the last twenty years. So yeah. there's a there's a uh, um, Gloria Steinem. Um, rec- she does this talk, and she says, um, you know, when you get to a certain age, you don't get on top because get in here. Get a mirror and put the mirror on the bed and get on top and look down and you'll never get on top. (laughs) (laughs) Unless it's dark and then it's okay. Amen, sister. Well, and and here's what I know is that at this age, uh, if I were in relationship with someone, it's going to be based on like so much more. It's going to be so much about like, you know, and, and I, Listen, I, I wouldn't care if they've, you know, got a gut, you know. I don't care, you know. I love them. I don't love their gut, you know. It's like it's a part of who they are, whatever. So I think that, you know, who I am has changed. And, you know, I'm much less superficial about things. And uh, and I think that it would be, you know, a, a loving thing. You know, we had our first couple on the show a few months back before the pandemic started. And, uh you know, and they are, they're both retired and they met like in recovery. And it's a beautiful story about how that they really act like little kids together and they just laugh and they just carry on. So, you know, I I feel like I'm open to it in terms of like, if the universe wants to bring that into my milieu, I'll welcome it. You know, I'm certainly not going online or doing any of that bullshit. I have no urgency around it. But, you know, it would be cool. And, and I feel like I've been a little bit jealous of those people who have been in quarantine with a partner, you know, someone that they like. It's like, how exciting to be able to have someone to say, you know, to calm me or whatever. And so I feel a, I feel a little bit jealous about that. But my relationship with myself is good enough. And because I was sick for five months, I'm used to being, you know, self-isolation and everything like that. So, but before we close, we're going to wrap up here in just a, a little bit, Lynette. So I'd like to hear just a little bit of your story in terms of like, you know, where you came from and, you know, just a real short story. And then if you could end it with a prayer with us, I mean, would you be yeah. open to doing that? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I grew up in Southern California uh, and I, uh, in the fifties, it was an amazing period, time period. You know, I went to college. Um, uh, I didn't drink. I was a Mormon. You know, I went on a mission. Uh, I was a good little Mormon. I got excommunicated because I, I like girls, and I tried to pretend I didn't. I thought if I didn't think about it, it would go away. And, you know, then I spent a long, long time in the wilderness, uh, I want to call it, you know, spiritually and emotionally. Um, um, and that's when I started drinking. Uh, and um, I got sober at 40. Uh, and uh, it was really like coming out all over again uh, because I had to uh, really acknowledge who I was. And, um, and you know, and so uh, I've been sober a long time. And, um, and, and sobriety has always been the number one priority in my life since I got sober, uh, and, you know, and staying sober. Um, but I've also had a great deal of interest, you know, my career. I always used to say that I had career ADD. Um, because the longest job I ever held was as a minister. I just could never quite find my niche. I did uh, all kinds of things, uh, all of them pretty much out uh, service oriented, you know, high tech, low training, retail, everything, sales. Um, and 
you know, but when life really got sweet was when uh, I went into the ministry, really did. And what I felt called to do is to help those uh, who'd been wounded by the church. Um, And by that, I mean the Christian church. You know, it's the only one I know. And and when I say Christian, I mean capital C, not little c. Uh, And I maintain that Christianity has a great deal to repent of. Um, I think they have been, uh, the harm that they have inflicted uh, on, on people is uh, catastrophic. Um, and, and that's racial, but especially uh, uh, those with sexual orientation, because what they've done is they've privatized sin. And what that means is that all they care about is what happens between two people, and they've not paid attention to what I call corporate sin, which is the sin of neighborhoods and communities and countries and nations which is much bigger. Um, and so I felt called to, um, to help those who have been wounded by the church. And uh, um, I started a church. It was uh, um, with Cathedral of Hope out of Dallas. We started Cathedral of Hope here in Houston. And um, our primary outreach was to the LGBTQ community to let them know that God loved them and that there was a place for them. And, and consequently, I... I also help minister really to those in 12-step recovery because, you know, uh, a lot of people have issues with organized religion and, and understandably so, but then they'll have moments in their life when they would like a person uh, of faith, whether it's a, a funeral, whether it's a wedding, uh, you know, a lot of things. And so a lot of the weddings and funerals and, uh, uh, that I've done in my ministry have been with people in 12-step recovery who needed it either for themselves or someone they knew. Wow. You know? uh, so it's been an amazing journey. It really has. And uh, um, I, I, can, I cannot distinguish or separate my faith from my recovery. They really, they really are the same thing. Because, and I also, I was intentionally ordained on June 10th, which is the anniversary of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because I knew that my being able to answer the, answer the call to ministry was direct, directly related to the fact that I was sober. And so I was intentionally ordained on the anniversary of Alcoholics Anonymous. I love that so much. That is so special. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up. And if you could, you know, just think of us all in our little homes during this pandemic Lynette, all of us who are still sick and suffering in some kind of way, and please just, you know, tap into, you know, your great faith, and please uh, close us out with a prayer. Sure will. Thank you. God of grace and mercy and mystery and power, um, we're here tonight. We're your sober sisters, and we're all over this city, all over this country, uh, and all over the world. Uh, like everyone else, we are staying home and staying safe and trying to deal with this pandemic that risks our lives and the lives of everyone we care about. And so we ask, uh, dear God, the uh, God of many names and many faiths, that you stay with us as those of us who are struggling to stay safe or maybe struggling to have food and, uh, and, and to be well. Uh, we ask that you uh, be with us. Uh, Help us open our hearts and our minds to other people that are suffering. Um, But also, uh, we ask, probably more than anything, 
keep us sane and keep us sober because we know that without recovery, without being clean, that, um, that life would lose all meaning. And so we ask all these things and we ask it in your many names. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Lynette. Thank you, Lynette. It was a pleasure to be with you for this short period of time and to share. I loved it. And let's and plan I'll, to get to see each other in our, in real life after real all of this life. is over. We're gonna have to. Well, then we'll we'll do dinner. That's a deal. Absolutely. I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be listen to the Silver Sisters. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. Love you. Okay, Lynette, thank you so much. Thank you. So you guys, you uh, are going to hear our little closing that comes up here in a little bit. We're going to be doing the Zoom meeting at 6 p.m. So uh, you guys know the passwords for that. So, uh, Elizabeth, do you have anything you want to say before we close no, out? No, I just don't forget if you want to, if you feel called to donate when we do get out of this um pandemic the stay-at-home order mg and i plan to um expand a little bit and you know we do have we do have costs and so you can um you can do that through google pay you just um send it to silver sisters talk at gmail.com thank you so much and we'll talk to you soon bye bye So if you want to get in touch with us, please send us an email at SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. Or you can check out our other episodes at www.SoberSistersTalk.com. And we are also on Facebook. We have a Facebook page and there we have them all lined up. You can see them. You can get a little description. You can share it. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Bye.